cooking in an attempt to heal her liver and also to alter her relationship with food. It worked and she started to recover from the illnesses that had plagued her for years. Let's talk more to her about her story. Welcome to the show, Rachel Favilla. How are you, Rachel? I am well. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. It really fascinates me, your story. Thank you. So tell us, how did you come to learn that you had a liver disease so young? Um, well, it was, it was really odd because I've got a very resilient system. So for several years, like by the time they found it, I was really sick. But So it had probably started when I was about 10 or 11, but the body is just so resilient. So what I've learned since then is that all my other organs just started kicking in trying to pick up the slack. So yes, I wasn't growing and developing, but you could always explain that away as late blooming or, you know, I had digestive issues, but so many people have digestive issues now that it's not that out of the ordinary. And I was jaundiced, but it came on so progressively that those that saw me every day, you wouldn't notice it. And because I'm pale and you know, I feel like those of us that are pale, we're always a little bit discoloured. You can yeah. kind of tell our emotion based on our skin tone. Like, oh, yeah. she's a bit green. She's clearly jealous of someone. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, yeah, it was more the fact that it got to the Christmas holidays at the end of 2010. So I just finished year eight and we had a bit more time on our, ha- on our hands and we were like, yeah, look, I'm 14. I haven't got my period yet. We should probably just go to the doctor and just have a, a look into this. And because um, my mum has celiac disease, we, the doctor was like, oh, maybe you've got celiac. I know that you've been tested by a few dietitians, but the celiac testing, it's still not great quality. So they yeah. can be wrong. And sometimes you just need to do it again. So we did it again. And um, I got a call on a Sunday morning, the week before Christmas in 2010. And the doctor was being a bit cagey on the phone, but she's like, could you please come in? And I, I remember mum was still in bed. It was a Sunday morning. I was like watching tv or something and it was just like what doctor wants you in there on a sunday like this this mustn't be okay this is not and and if a doctor wants to see you know to worry (laughs) oh i know exactly i'm like this is more than celiac disease i'm sure one more day of bread's not gonna kill me like she could leave that till a monday um so we went in and she was like yeah look it's not celiac disease um but you need to go into hospital tomorrow and get admitted and get a whole lot of tests. So I did that and got a liver biopsy and it confirmed autoimmune hepatitis, which is a autoimmune condition where your immune system gets a bit confused. And instead of seeing the liver as your organ, it sees it as a pathogen and it will just start to attack it. And by the time mine was found, I'd lost about 98% liver function. So the fact that I was, I was still upright and functioning and going to school and playing sport is Amazing. remarkable yeah. but it just shows how incredible and resilient the body is and it will just keep trying to push through um, the so things I- the body do absolutely fascinates me even to attack itself it's crazy how advanced our bodies are and what it actually does yeah. so when you were talking about having the digestive issues and stuff like that what other symptoms were there um so i guess just or things I guess also at 14 you're not very body aware so I look back now and I'm like yeah I was pretty constipated but no one I mean especially back in 2010 it wasn't normal to talk about your poo I feel like now it's a bit bit trendy like we kind of like it but back then so if you're not going for several days you didn't necessarily realize that was abnormal and bloating but I mean so many people joke about you know food babies and stuff that you're like oh okay but, but I like pasta so whatever um yeah, just things like that. Um, 
I like I look again I look back and I go yes I was exhausted but teenagers are always tired and always taking naps so it was like yeah all these things from multi-systems but you could if you wanted to explain away each little one yeah, yeah. Um, so I had like I, a cluster of systems. I think most of us do yeah. that with any sort of illnesses that we we get and before we know what they actually are we do almost talk away the symptoms because you know, even just mentioning the bloating, I know that sometimes when you have too much salt, you can bloat. Yeah, you yeah, drink exactly. Too much water, you can bloat. A lot of the time, I, and that's the, one of the big reasons why I go to the doctor for everything, because I like to be safe. And I always yeah, think to myself, yeah. if I at least if I if I do have anything wrong with me, the earlier that someone catches it, the better where my husband's the polar opposite. He could be missing a leg and still won't go to the doctor. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's so true. And I think, like, I look back now and I go, because also another thing, I had a major fat intolerance, like fatty, I really liked them, but I would, they would just make, I would be like zonked for the rest of the day if I had anything Mm. too greasy or fatty. And at that age, like I, you know, 14, young 14 year old. Oh, she doesn't like fat. And now she's a bit weird about certain foods that have carbs in them. And so I was already getting pinned with, oh, it's probably just an eating disorder. Like, you know, you just yeah. put on a bit of weight and deal with it. Like, and so even, even though I had probably had symptoms that deep down, I was kind of worried about, I didn't want to go to the doctor because yeah. I didn't want to get that label when I, it was like, look, I'm not, I'm not scared of food, but I just, I don't want to feel like sick. So I, I do avoid things like that or I maybe won't eat as much at this meal if I really want to have something rich at the next meal so I can enjoy it and not feel sick. And I know that mm. with it, that could seem a little bit like anorexia or distorted eating, like playing games with food. But for me, it was just like I love food and I love cooking and I don't want to cut anything out of my diet. So I'll just make amendments and yeah. it seemed logical to me. Um, but obviously you explain that to a dietitian or a psychologist and they're like, no, no that's anorexia and I'm a perfectionist anyway. So the stereotype writes itself. Um, Yes. I was probably also trying to avoid seeing professionals simply because I could almost predict what they were going to label me as. That's actually fascinating because I myself only within maybe the last year or two years, I found out that I had pancreas issues. Um, Yeah. So my, uh, what I was noticing is that, same thing. Like I, I would eat certain things and, you know, I was going to the toilet uh, ridiculous amounts in a day, like probably 20 times in a day. Oh, and yeah. I And I just started thinking that there's something just not right. So I ended up going to the doctor and they did a lot, you know, a lot of tests and found out that I had pancreas issues and what my pancreas was doing was not absorbing the nutrients in the oils and and all that sort of stuff from the food that our body needs. It was basically Mm. just going straight through me and I was, you know, starting to get quite sick. So I now take a tablet called Creon, which is produced from pig's pancreas, which then enables my pancreas to work efficiently. And I've got to take that each time I eat. Um, Was it that you you weren't making pancreatic lipase, the fat? Correct. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. But at the same token, going back to your point, I did start to alter what I was eating because I thought, well, the time before I knew what it was, I was like, well, that, that doesn't make me feel that great. So I'm going to avoid that. And maybe Mm. if I eat more of this. And so I really do get that point. I mean, that really rings true to me. So when, when were you diagnosed with the anorexia? 
Uh, that came around five months later. So if you think just before Christmas 2010 was when I got autoimmune hepatitis diagnosis and I got put on a lot of medication like high dose steroids, yeah. immune suppressants, um, something called urso, doxy, blah, 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 can't pronounce the whole thing. We just called it urso, something about my bile salts um, and synthetic vitamin K because my gut was so destroyed that I, my bowel flora wasn't making vitamin K and I was at risk of bleeding to death if I got so yeah. much of the cut. And um, unfortunately, the ironic thing is about liver disease or kidney disease is they're the two main organs that process medications and yeah. make the more toxic compounds not toxic to the body. And I only had 2% liver function at the time. So although it was like taking one step forward, two steps back. I was taking all this medication to try and get me well, but my poor liver couldn't make it safe enough for my body. So if anything, it was destroying me more and all medications not to have a medication bashing session because like they're life-saving a lot of the time but again my gut was so trashed and all medications by default generally do kind of destroy the gut lining a little bit so any last little bits of absorption that I had going on I lost and so by Easter time I was a bag of bones and because now and again this was before there was a whole lot of research about the gut brain connection and the vagus nerve and how there's kind of that telephone line between the gut and the brain and so my mental health had also hit rock bottom so I felt really sick from the medication side effects and the fact that my liver was getting worse and the fact that I wasn't digesting my food properly and I was down to about 20 or 30 or 29 30 kilos um, I'm a very tiny here like I'm short so that's it's still bad but it's not as bad as it sounds I'm not even five foot so um anyway yeah and I it was it was horrible because it was like I did I suppose if you wanted to put me in a diagnostic box but by the DSM I did have anorexia I was skinny I my appetite was all over the place because again the liver is a major source of our glycogen storage so what stores the carbohydrates is energy and so I didn't have that so uh, although I couldn't digest food properly then I'd have almost these binge sessions because I couldn't store energy properly so I so it was like one extreme to the other and I didn't understand any of how this actually worked and that was never explained to me it was never like it was just you're sick here are the medications it was never oh okay this major organ does all these things so these Mm. are the symptoms you might feel it was more just like just take this and hope it works um, so I was really confused, but I just remember feeling like, I don't feel like this is anorexia. Like I love food and I love cooking, but then I'd talk to my doctors about it and they'd be like, no, that's just a cover up. That's denial. You're just saying that so that we don't diagnose you with this. And, um, but I just, I, I guess at 14, you don't have a whole lot of autonomy when it yeah. comes to, you know, if you get given a diagnosis and your parents think you're really sick too, then you can get admitted to hospital against your will. And so that happened. And I got put in hospital with a feeding tube and put on bed rest. And anytime I tried to go, this food makes me feel sick or this is making me worse. It was like, no, that's just, it was always treated as two separate issues. Not this girl has hepatitis and therefore maybe that's the, the, the food link. It was like, no, no, she's just also got this. And why not? She's super stressed. She's going through trauma. Of course, she's using food as a coping mechanism. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's actually a really good point you brought up before because I myself, when I was going through the pancreas stuff and I've got thyroid issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So bringing up that point saying that you were eating to, to almost bring back energy, I really know that because a lot of the time where... I haven't been that well. I almost overeat because I'm wanting to bring energy to my body because I just don't have any. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. Like, our, I feel like our hunger hormones will shift if we don't, we, if we're not nourished enough. It's almost like our the ghrelin, the sorry, leptin, the hormone that tells us we're full. It's almost like, yeah, we don't need that right now because we just need the nutrients. So we're not mm. going to let you feel full until you've got the nutrients. And if you're not absorbing it, you're never going to feel full. Yeah. So it's so what was it called? Leptin. Leptin. So that's our full hormone, and then the hung, the hunger hormone that makes us hungry is called ghrelin. I wonder if I can get a test for leptin because I don't think it exists in my body. Oh, leptin resistant, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing. That's yeah, actually a diagnosis. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all because I'm always uh, hungry. Always. Well, there you go. There's something else to talk to your doctor about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to jog that down. This is Ant's Talk. Would you say that you had anorexia or would you still say that it really was a multitude of issues happening at the same time? <sighs> I'd say for years I would have said, no, I did not because yep. it, I'd say, look, the way that it's written up as a, diagnos- as a diagnosis, I would have ticked enough boxes, but I think we need to probably as a society have a bigger discussion about the, all the different ways that anorexia can present and maybe how it's not just that typical someone thinking they're fat when they're not body dysmorphia, starving themselves, wanting to look like a supermodel and how it can also be a symptom of something deeper. Yeah. Um, and breaking down the stigma, I think it would be really good because sometimes it could almost, like in my case, it could almost mask something mm. a lot more serious or the treatment for that, if you do get that diagnosis, is actually counterintuitive to something else that needs addressing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny because, I mean, I used to live with a girl that was anorexic and none of us knew at the time when we first started living with her, but I then noticed over the months that I started living with her that she was not eating at all and she would eat barley sugar lollies all day, every day, and that's all she would eat. Yeah. And I think where a lot of people also go wrong in the thinking of when they hear anorexia, it's the same point that you just made, is that people want to be skinnier and look like a supermodel and blah, 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 where I really don't think that that was her case. I think that her case was that she had parents that were extremely wealthy that wanted nothing to do with her. So whenever she wanted attention from them, they would just buy her things. And that was their way of showing love to her where it wasn't her way of receiving love. So therefore she was almost torturing herself to get the attention that she wanted. That's how yeah. I would diagnose it. I mean, I'm, a, I'm no psychologist, but that's what I read from the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I look back to me, I'm like, yeah, I might, I never didn't eat. I always ate meals and snacks and all of that. Like that was the thing. Even my parents at one stage were like, are you sure? Like our daughter eats quite a bit of food, especially for someone who's so sick. But I goes, I guess, yes, I would portion control at certain times simply because I wanted to, I still wanted to go to school and I wanted to play sport and I wanted to do all these things. And if I ate too much, I'd be so exhausted and feel so sick that I couldn't do those things. And I was yeah. determined that I wasn't going to become my diagnosis. So I would, and then I get to the end of the day and I'd eat more at the end of the day because it's like, well, I don't have to do anything now. Like, you yeah. know, it's fine. I, I feel a little bit like, Oh, like I've got till tomorrow morning to get over that. Um, and I, and I also probably, I, I loved tennis. I loved Pilates. And for me, I was uh, worried about my health. And 
that it was like a distraction. It was like a form of therapy and it was my, mm. I loved it. It was my, so I probably was over exercising as a coping mechanism, not to be skinny, but just cause it made me feel good. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're so depleted and not absorbing nutrients, there's only so far you can go with that. And I yeah. didn't understand that. So yeah, it was go, just, and then you go home and eat more to try and get more energy. I get, I know it. Oh my gosh. And then it's like, she's binging. Oh, she's throwing up and it's like, no, I'm not. Even if I wanted to, I don't have that. And I don't want to call it a skill, but I just, I, my gag reflex is quite selective. So. I just, yeah, I just don't like the taste or the mess. Ugh. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. So you've also um, gone on to study and become a nutritionist. Tell us more about your yeah. work there. Um, so basically when I was, so then when I was 15, I had another liver biopsy and by that stage we were hoping that by then the medication might've kicked in and I would have gotten better. And if anything, I'd gotten worse and I got put on another medication and the ultimatum was, look, this will probably, this could help you keep your liver. If you don't go on this, you're probably going to lose your liver, but this medication is not all that safe and it has potential to shut down your kidneys so it was a bit of a gamble it was like organ for an organ but my goal was to be like i one day i want to be medication free and if i lose my own organ i'm never going to be medication free my immune system's going to be suppressed for the rest yeah. of my life and at 15 i did understand i didn't understand a lot about what was going on but i understood that much so I, and I just, I don't know where it came from, except for the fact that I loved food and nutrition. Like I, I did, I cooking was one of my favorite things. And I thought, well, food must have something to do with this. Like if food can make me feel so sick and so horrendous when it does, when it's not the right type, the ones that, cause not all foods made me feel sick. There were certain ones that like salmon, I just craved salmon. I could eat heaps of salmon or I could eat heaps of apples or peanut butter or carrots. I'm like, maybe if I just go towards what makes me feel good and get rid of all the stuff that I'm questioning, like maybe I'll get better. What do I have to lose? So I had a discussion with my mom and I was like, look, the, the dietitian is a lovely lady, but she's not really working with my situation that well. And the social worker wants to make everything about food and I'm kind of sick of talking about it. So could we try something new? And mum was quite hesitant, but I think she was also like, well, nothing else is working. So sure. And so I just started doing little bits of research and this was before really internet smartphone sort of times. So I, um, it was a little like reading little bits of magazines or books from the library or just going back to basics and actually looking at labels and going, I don't even understand half the stuff that's in this. Mm. Maybe I should just stick to the whole foods and um, understanding farming methods and the chemicals sprayed on things and trying to choose options that are less sprayed or not sprayed. And the more I did those sorts of things, the, for the first time since my diagnosis, my liver function test started getting better. So I was like, oh, there's something in this. And then my medications, I got weaned off the really dangerous one and then all the other ones started getting less and less. And then for years I was just on a low dose of one immune suppressant and then by the end of my first year of university, I was off that. So in that time I was like, I just feel like I need to study nutrition. You know, I was also in that age where everyone's like, what are you going to do when you finish school? And I'm like, well, I've, I think this is pretty powerful. I'd like to, I would like to be able to professionally help people. And mm. also, yeah, just, it's just seemed amazing. And I'm like, and this was, I think at that stage when nutrition was just starting to be recognized by mainstream medicine before then it was like a bit of a novelty, like yeah. <laughs> that's nice. But like, really do you think a stalk of broccoli is going to do much? And then it was like, Oh, actually, no, it is. That's really good. So I was like, Oh, there's this opportunity now to actually get people to really understand that food can be medicine. And 
that sometimes medication does work, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it makes you worth and you have to eat anyway. Why mm. not try to make food your medicine? It just, it got me really excited. And from the age of 15, I remember pacing around the living room, pretending I was giving interviews and lectures mm. about, you know, how amazing foods were to like kids and parents and like, it just it lit me up and I was just like, well, if I have to do something for a living, this seems like a good idea. And um, yeah, so that's basically how that's I got there. So cool. People are becoming a lot more aware of it these days, that food really is, uh, there is a definite line in the sand of good food and bad foods. I actually went keto recently, which was a very, very unique journey for me, purely because I'm a vegetarian also. So it limited my food options a lot. But I must say that dropping the carbs made me feel so much better. And I think that we still need them. That's what I did learn at the end of the journey. We still need the carbs in our diet. And it's, that's a very important part of that diet is to make sure that you're still getting them. But I've tried to continue on. It's not something I want to continue on for the rest of my life. But what I've done is drop the, the intake of carbs a lot because I think that there's so many other options of trying to get a lot more protein into my diet, especially as a vegetarian, was a real challenge, but I've managed to now do that. So there's so many options out there. And I think that we need to really start focusing on those little guidelines that are on each and every packet of food that we pick up. And if anything, even try to avoid the packets. Just go Well, that's what I say, like more produce, less packets. And exactly. understanding, my thing is that we're all so different. Our bodies have been through different things and we've got all different ancestries. But if you just go real food and then from there, what works for my body? Like that doesn't surprise yeah. me. Like the pancreas is responsible for a lot of like the regulation of the carbohydrates we yeah. eat. So if yours is a little bit under par, it would make sense that you do best not with none, but with less. It's less yeah. of a load for the pancreas. Sometimes That's the pancreas right. just needs a little bit of a break. And then it's like, oh, because that can happen sometimes is that you just have so many carbs over and over and over and your pancreas just goes on strike and goes, I am not producing any more insulin. Like I'm done. I, and actually, then you, I think I was living on carbs at that stage. I really do. Yeah. When, I, when I look back, yeah. I just think to myself, well, really, I mean, bread was my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> I, still, I still love bread and look at it lovingly every time I walk past a loaf, but at mm. least these days I can take it or leave it, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. And I talk a lot, like the first chapter in my book is actually about the wheat and what's sprayed on wheat. And I say, are we brain? So um, I don't know if you know that wheat in this country and in America and several other industrialized nations is sprayed with Roundup. Wow. So I sometimes wonder, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot of research that said, I mean, obviously celiacs can't have gluten and there's research saying it's more than just celiacs that, yeah. you know, there's immunological consequences of gluten consumption. But I go, for the most part, the general human, are we blaming the wrong G word? Are we fearing gluten when maybe we should be fearing glyphosate? Yeah. Like a lot of people, they just have a, you know, like rye bread or spelt bread, something that's grown more organically. And all of a sudden, oh, they can eat bread without any symptoms. And I just wonder, Crazy, I just wonder, yeah. And I mean, look at what they've just discovered about Roundup. I mean, oh, that makes you never <laughs> want to eat bread again. I know. We just have spelt bread, you know. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> yeah. But going yeah. back to your book, actually, so you've written a book titled Periods and Poo, A Glorious You. 
Is that periods correct? Poo, uh, periods Poo and a Glorious You. I yeah. love that title. Tell us more about it. So what I wanted to do with Periods, Poo and a Glorious You was give people a book that was about health that they could read even if they weren't into health. Like, let's be real, the health wellness title uh, genre is flooded, it's bloated, it's not, I don't want to say overdone, but a little bit overdone. And I had a story to share. I had information I wanted to put out there, but I wanted to do it in a different way. I wanted to write a book that I wished that I'd had before I'd gotten sick. Um, and when I was sick, so that I could have had all this extra information to maybe fast track the healing process rather than had to learn little bits as I went along. And personally, in my own life, when I read, I really love reading the autobiographies of comedians. I love the quick wit. I love how it's satirical and it's self-deprecating and it's sarcastic and they'll be serious for a little bit and then they'll throw a like spit out your coffee hilarious joke right at the end and you'll have to reread it like, did they really just say that? Oh, yes, they did. So I wanted that sort of energy in all the autobiographical aspects of my book. So what I've done is I've combined three genres So it's part autobiography, so my story is weaved throughout. Then it's part health emporium, so there's a whole lot of information. And what I've tried to do is instead of taking one stance or the other, I've taken probably 95% of the main questions a lot of people have have about health and nutrition, and I've tried to give both sides to the story in a really easy-to-understand way so that you've got the information, the reader has the information, and they can then choose to make up their own minds about it. And then at the end of every chapter, you get a recipe that's symbolic of the discussion in that chapter. So the way I've written the autobiographical aspect is it is self-deprecating. It's satirical. It's funny. It's, you know, even when I'm talking about quite dark times in my life, it's told with this lighthearted flair and it's it's good reading regardless of whether you're interested in health or medicine or not and then with the health information what I really wanted to do was not like not have me talking for as much as possible so I've created character sketches with foods and with body parts and I've personified them and they'll tell their own story so instead of me bagging on wheat and going oh it's spread with roundup and it's ruining our guts and our mental health and all of that sort of stuff. Um, It's actually wheat and he's at a party with all his grain friends and he's really embarrassed because he used to be top of the crop and now he's kind of fallen from grace. And, you know, back in the day, he was the fiber fed to Jesus. He had the literal pleasure of co-creating the original holy shit. And now all he does is give people the shits and it's really embarrassing because then his mates quinoa and millet and buckwheat, they're all smashing it and he's kind of fallen by the wayside and he didn't even ask for it. He didn't ask to be sprayed with herbicides. He didn't ask to be modified and to contain 50% more gluten than his original state. So, you know, it's it's that sort of thing. So he's telling his own story. And then, you know, it's the same sort of thing with your body parts. It's not me going, this is how this works and that's how that works and your body likes this so that it can function like that. It's actually your body talking to you going, oh, you know, this is what I do and I do it really much better if you do this. So here, you know, I'm reaching out a hand. You Maybe you could reach out and shake it, help me help you, that sort of thing. So it's dynamic the whole way through. And I do believe that I've written a book that you don't have to be interested in health to read. It's just good reading. It's funny. It's light. It's thought provoking. The topic and theme just happens to be health. And 
I'm, I'm really proud of that. And also, just want to say, because um, I understand that some lads get put off by the periods aspect of the title, um, I honestly was just going for good alliteration after I actually wrote most of the manuscript before I had the title. And I, di- I was like, well, there's a lot of poo talk, because let's be honest, the gut health is central to actual health. And if the eyes are the window to the soul, who is the window to the gut? And so, you know, there's lots of poo jokes thrown without. Um, and it's all about how glorious our bodies are and how even when they're at their sickest, they're still trying to be their healthiest and they're always working behind the scenes to get better. It, we just have to help them along and do what we can to support them and then they'll heal themselves a lot of the time. And then so periods came about because I do talk a bit about, you know, the female reproductive cycle and fertility and, you know, that the fertility conversation definitely is equal males and females but I do talk about the cycle so I'm like oh periods can go in there but even the discussion on periods is addressing males as well going do you know what if you're in a relationship your female partner if you're in a um heterosexual relationship then your partner's cycle affects you more than you reckon because either you're trying to get pregnant or you're trying not to get pregnant you might want to know you know, the times of month where she's fertile and when she's not and when it's maybe better to pull out the board games or, you know what I mean? So even that is a very unisex discussion. So it's just a little disclaimer, even though it says periods in the title and there's a beautiful big female reproductive system smiling at you off the cover, very cute um, cartoon, by the way, not a literal photo of one. Um, It's definitely a unisex read. So what would you like people to know about your journey? Um, I think many things. Intuition is a big one. I think Mm. trusting your gut, um, doctors and not just doctors, natural health professionals and mainstream medical professionals are brilliant. They're incredible, but you, they're not in charge. You know, your own body and your intuition is something that they don't have. And so trust your gut if something's not working and they're like no 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 it's definitely this and this is the way the truth and the light you you actually do have the right you don't have to be submissive and go well they've got more letters behind their name than I do they've got the white coat they've got the degree who am I to because I've been in other situations that we haven't even gotten into today but if you're interested they are in the book where I've had to stand up to doctors that have gone it's this and I've gone no it's not I know my body and it's not that and I've had to turn around and push and push and then they go oh, good on you for trusting your intuition. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, um, so that would be – and just food is really simple. Not any specific diet or protocol or trend or just real food and just knowing the ones that work for you. If you're craving a certain food and it's a real food, don't worry about what's written up about it or what someone else's bias is. If it's a whole food and it makes you feel good, it's probably, you don't even have to know what's in it, but it's probably got something in it that your body needs as well. Yeah, just getting exactly. back to that more, getting rid of the rules or the stigma and just trusting that and um, try and keep it lighthearted as well. Like have that self-deprecating humor when things go wrong. Cause I think it's the one thing that saved me was kind of making, turning it into a bit of a joke, having that dark sense of humor. Cause sometimes it was either you were going to laugh or you were going to cry. Yeah, I I knew what I'd rather be doing. So yeah, it's it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole and into a dark place when you're not feeling the best and having to go through the medical drama because I know what it's like myself and it's not the most uplifting place to be. (laughs) No, it's not, and I totally did go there, but it's just so I'm not saying you can never sit in. Can wait, um, can I swear on the show or? Of course you can. 
<laughs> okay, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to be like, it's not that you can't ever sit in the shit. It's just that, you know, at some point getting out of that and trying to move forward rather than letting that take you down. Because when you're in those situations, you need your strength. You need to yeah. be, to have that sense of self-autonomy and empowerment to be able to, and just to be in touch with your emotions enough that you can tune into that intuition and go, mm. what clues do I have? Because like, where did I get the whole thing about food's going to heal me? I just knew. Yeah. It didn't even make sense. I had like, I hadn't read anything. I hadn't read a study or anything. I just was like, I just had this feeling that if I change my diet, it'll be the answer. And it was, but that I was also just think too that when you aren't feeling the best and stuff like that, I mean, we can, we can't really change that in our bodies straight away, but the one thing we can change is our mindset. And yeah. that's readily available to us all the time. So it's an important thing to keep an eye on. Um, what I was going to ask before we go is where can people find more about you and also about the book? Uh, my website's probably the best place. So all the w's.realsoupfortherealsoul.com. Uh, yeah and i've also got a facebook page so that's just go on facebook and real soup for the real soul and i'm on instagram that's just my name so rachel favilla fantastic rachel thank you so much for coming onto the show found, oh my pleasure i've loved your story and i found it absolutely fascinating to hear more about it now that i've spoken to you i was sitting here reading all the notes and and this the background on you and i was just like i cannot wait to speak to this person and hear all about all of it so I'm oh, so glad that we had a chat. Yeah, yeah, me too. It was lovely to meet you. I love your Likewise. energy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds Have good. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Ants Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.